Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Well, today we are continuing our series on the Beatitudes, the seventh message. And I am so passionate about this series. I believe that if you want to understand God the Father, you have to understand Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But I also believe that if you do not understand the Beatitudes, you do not understand Jesus. And the Beatitudes are upside down, they're counter-cultural, they're counter-intuitive, but it's part of Jesus. These are Jesus' words and arguably his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plains, where he has this preamble to these life-altering words called the Beatitudes, and it's his spiritual manifesto. And so the seventh Beatitude says something that I believe in our American culture we don't like, we don't understand, and our culture and our nation that's been at war for most of our history as a nation, this verse that Jesus shares in Matthew 5, 9 kind of puts us in an uncomfortable position. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, lucky. Remember, it's the Greek word makarios. Blessed means lucky or happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And in a nation, in a world that's obsessed with war and fighting and conflict, where we want to see the updates about the tragedy in Ukraine with Russia, or even in novelty areas and award shows, we like obsessing over the the harsh words and the harsh slaps of Will Smith and Chris Rock. We, as a culture, watch these things. Our, Our history and our milestones and all of humanity have been defined by wars. Technology has advanced in times of war. I know even in my own personal life, the movies, the shows, the animes I like to watch are all about fighting and war and conflict. I am going to turn 40 in a couple of years, and I've already started the process of asking my wife to throw me a 40th birthday party where there will be a a fighting tournament in my honor where I sit on a throne like Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat and I watch people battle. There will be a cash prize for the winner of this one versus one tournament and the opportunity to marry my daughter when and if she wants to get married. I love fighting. Anybody with me? And here Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And I, I got to be honest. This is uncomfortable. We're obsessed with war as a people, as a nation, ever since the first murder with Cain and Abel, and it has come into our day and age. But when we consider the scriptures and the future kingdom reality, and we see that the Beatitudes are a manifesto of what does it look like, not for us to escape earth and go to heaven, but what does it look like for the kingdom 
to break into the reality of the earth. And that's what the Beatitudes are. And that's why it's upside down. That's why we say, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. We see the kingdom breaking into the earth, and we see a reality of what our heavenly Father is like. And our heavenly Father is obsessed with peace. He's a God of peace. Let me read some scriptures. Isaiah 2.4, these are prophecies about the future through Jesus. The Lord, in Isaiah 2.4, the Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. And so we see in this prophecy, war is temporary. In the kingdom, there is a day that people will not train for war anymore. Isaiah 9, 6, this is usually shared around Christmas, but this is the promise of how we would understand and name Jesus. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, say it with me, Prince of Peace. John 20, 19, this is after Jesus is violently tortured and killed upon the cross. Jesus dies, he resurrects, he encounters the gathered disciples. And what is the first thing Jesus says on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders? Jesus came and stood among them and said, this is the first thing he said to the gathering of the disciples. Say it with me, peace be with you. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. Say this with me. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. So God is obsessed with peace. There are so many scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but I think we like to ignore some of these scriptures. We like to redefine these scriptures to fit our Western template of what it's like to be a follower of God. So what, what does it mean to make peace? Well, I'm going to share another scripture, an example of how Jesus made peace for us. Colossians 1, 19... For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So reconciling, bringing warring factions together, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By how did he make peace? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So he made peace with us who are enemies with Christ by dying on the cross himself, not by killing us, but by dying. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And so I, I want to dissect this and explain this a little bit. The bottom line for this message is as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're not just called to be peace lovers, 
or peace seekers, but we are called to make peace. What do Christians make? We make peace. We are peacemakers. We find enemies. We find people who are in conflict, and we bring these warring factions together so that we are like our Father, so that we could be called the children of God. I wrote it like this. If you want to be called a child of God, you need to be a peacemaker. Yes, God brings peace to our heart, but he doesn't stop there. He wants us to make peace between enemies. Peacemaking is a call for Christians to mind other people's business. So we are called to meddle. We are called to interrupt. We are called to get in between warring factions. This is incredibly inconvenient and awkward. In high school, when I first became a Christian, I heard this message, and in my school, it was a large school, I saw two girls getting ready for a fist fight. And if you know me, I'm pumped up. I love a good fight. I got in so many fights in high school. I had over 40 detentions, just like my first like year in high school. I got in a lot of fights, and I, I see this group gather around the girls. You know how fights break out, and then a crowd emerges, and everybody starts chanting. What do they chant? Fight, 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 fight. You know what I'm talking about. And I, I, I'm in the group. I'm excited, but then I... I hear the words of Jesus, blessed, happy, lucky are the peacemakers. I'm like, how is that a blessing? (laughs) Everybody wants to see this fight. I want to see this fight. I want to put it on YouTube. Jesus like, Pradeepin, this is 2000. You don't have YouTube yet. I'm like, what? (laughs) This is amazing. And so I hear the words of Jesus from the scriptures, and I decide to be a peacemaker. I wedge myself in between the slaps and the punches and the kicks, and I start absorbing them with my body. And I go, no! Can't we all get along? Stop fighting. Let's talk this out. It can be better than this physical fight. And the crowd starts to turn on me. Hey, little brown boy, what are you doing? Stop it. This is awesome. We want this. I go, no! This is not the way of Jesus. The crowd starts booing me. It's awkward. The girls start to see the error of their ways, however. And they begin to go in peaceful directions. And the fight stops. The girls don't fight, and everybody hates me. It's awkward being a peacemaker. It was so awkward. They hated me. They wanted to see blood. They wanted an adventure. They wanted excitement. And here I am meddling in something. I didn't even know why they were fighting, but I I stopped it. And this is part of our calling. This is what it means to look like a child of God. You know, we often don't want to get in the middle of other people's business because we don't want to be offensive. We have no place, but we're we're called to meddle. And I want to explain that more, but I, I do want to share that it is going to be uncomfortable for us to speak up on issues of war, conflicts, issues of racism or abuse or infanticide, all sorts of issues that call for blood in our society and our culture, but we are called to step into the middle of the things. I wrote it like this We like that Jesus loves the oppressed, but we're uncomfortable with him loving the oppressor. When you become a bridge between enemies, you'll get walked on. Even so, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
It's uncomfortable. And so what have we done? Because peacemaking is so uncomfortable, I think we've chosen two options on the banks of these decisions. We've chosen peace through silence and peace through violence. And I don't think that is what God would call peacemaking. And yes, I know there are nuances to all these issues and, and things like that, but I'm just trying to get to the heart of this scripture right here and not every loophole in every example. So give me a little peace as I talk about peacemaking. Because I've discovered as a pastor, you make a lot of enemies in America when you talk about peacemaking. And so we, we go to these banks, peace through silence. So that's people, when we've preached about issues like racism here at Kalos Church, I'll get emails, not from people here, but with our social media clips. Hey, pastor, why are you talking about racism so much? Just, uh, just preach the gospel. Hey, just stick to the main issues. Stop talking about Jesus creating one new humanity through his blood. Hey, stop talking about sermons like the Good Samaritan, about how the Samaritan was a hero, and they identified their ethnicity and their cultural context. And I'm like, no, you can't preach the gospel if you're not talking about reconciliation. Because that's the whole deal, right? Jesus has made peace with us while we were still enemies. And if we're going to look like our Heavenly Father, that means we make peace with people who are still enemies, whether they're our enemies or they're enemies with each other. And so we can't uh, negate peacemaking into just peace in our heart. Yes, the Prince of Peace brings peace to our heart and the turmoil, the confusion, the anxiety, the difficulties we're facing. But there is also a societal manifestation that the church is called to step into. We are called to not just have peace in our heart. Yes, Jesus brings peace to our heart, but it doesn't stay there. And so we can't adopt this quietism. We can't just be passive. We can't ignore the problems of the earth. We can't just say, oh, sex trafficking is an issue here, but I don't want to meddle. I don't want to offend the sex traffickers, right? That's not an option for us. We are called to make what? We are called to make peace. So it's not just peacekeeping. And, and, and then another option many of us will choose or what we inherently know as Americans is peace is made through violence. If you're familiar with the DC superhero universe. There is a superhero. I don't know if he's a hero or not, but he's called the the peacemaker. Anybody hear about this guy? He he is. Uh, yeah, he. I'm not endorsing the show <laughs> or the movies, but I did grow up reading these comic books, and it's kind of ironic. He says his mission is to bring peace on earth. He's called the peacemaker. He's this tough guy, and he says I will bring peace to the earth no matter how many women and children I have to kill. That's kind of his thing. It feels ironic, right? I will bring peace no matter how many women and children I have to kill to get there. But I think, honestly, this is what we're most comfortable with, what we're most familiar with. How do you bring peace? Well, you get a gun called a peacemaker, right? If you watch Westerns, how do you bring order? Well, you suppress anything that would be uh, oppressive or violent. We kill before we're killed. We bring order through violence. And uh, in the time of Jesus, this is what the Roman culture would have believed. Might makes right. So the Romans were occupying the land of Israel, the Jewish land. And so the Jewish people were not controlling their own lives. They weren't governing their own land. And the Jewish people, obviously, they were upset about this. They wanted to control their own land. They wanted to make their own decisions. 
And what Rome would do is they would bring, bring peace to the whole known world, basically, at that time, by putting people on the cross. So Rome has something called Pax Romana. Have you ever heard that? It's called Roman peace. And how did they bring peace? By killing everybody who opposed them. So if you hear about this political messiah who's about to be born, and you're Herod, a political leader, what do you do? This is in the Christmas story. He killed all the children ages two and below. Do you remember that story in the Christmas story? So that a leader, a political messiah, wouldn't rise up and overthrow the Roman government. So how do you bring peace? By killing anybody who's coming against you. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, the crucifixion wasn't designed just for Jesus. It was a technique that they used for any revolutionaries, any rebels, anybody that was trying to overthrow the government. This is Jesus. Jesus, do you claim to be the king of the Jews? It is as you say. Oh, there's no king but Caesar, no lord but Caesar. So back in this Roman time, uh, Caesar Augustus, he called himself the son of God. Caesar Augustus called himself the prince of peace. Caesar Augustus, the person in charge of the Roman military, called himself the savior of the world. Now, can you see how Jesus might have been politically scary for the Roman government? Because he called himself the prince of peace. He didn't deny these messianic prophecies. He identified himself as the king of Jews and the savior of the world. But Jesus brought peace in a totally different way through the cross. I wrote it like this. Rome, point number one, kept peace by killing while Jesus made peace by dying. Jesus didn't bring peace through silence, but he also didn't choose violence. And this was a a, a very confusing thing for the Jewish people because the Jews had overthrown a Greek empire and now the Romans are controlling them. And so they're thinking, what are we going to do? And there's different factions in this culture. The Essenes, who are also Jewish people, they are known for writing the Dead Sea Scrolls. They hid away in caves, and they became like this quiet culture, removed from everything that was going on. We're just going to take care of ourselves. And so they were kind of choosing silence. And then there were the tax collectors who collaborated with the Roman government. They're like synchronistic. We will become one with the Romans. And then there were the the zealots, and they wanted to use military force to outpower the Roman power to fight darkness with more violence. And here, Jesus steps into the scene, and he uses language that would have been upsetting to the zealots because they wanted to be identified as the sons of God. That was something the zealots were known for. And then Jesus enters in with this beatitude, and he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I love this quote by Donald Hagner. He writes, In the context of the Beatitudes, the point would seem to be directed against the zealots, the Jewish revolutionaries who hoped through violence to bring the kingdom of God. Such means would have been a continual temptation for the downtrodden and oppressed who longed for the kingdom. The zealots, by their militarism, hoped furthermore to demonstrate they were loyal sons of God. But Jesus announces it is the peacemakers who will be called the children of God. Being a peacemaker is part of being surrendered to God, for God brings peace. We abandon the effort to get our needs met. I love this line. We abandon the effort to get our needs met through the destruction of enemies. God comes 
to us in Christ to make peace with us. And we participate in God's grace as we go to our enemies to make peace. This is why the peacemakers will be called children of God. This is even why Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to bring peace like peace from the Romans. He says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so Jesus didn't bring peace as the Roman world would bring peace. He didn't put people on the cross. He died on the cross. And that's how he brought peace to the world. Another high school story. So I'm in my journey of following Jesus. I'm in this locker room. I was on the wrestling team. No big deal. I'm a human like you. And so, uh, yeah, we won state 12 years in a row. Yeah, a guy from our high school just won a gold medal in the last Olympics. Whatever. Can we focus on Jesus? All right. So I'm, I'm in the locker room. And the, there's this uh, bigger guy, and he's picking on my friend. We're, we're freshmen, and he's starting to punch him. And I, I'm like, I want to be a peacemaker, but this guy's so much bigger. I don't know what to do. So normally, I would just start crying and punching and blackout. I was this, like, scrappy little fighter. But I was like, all right. So I pushed him away a little bit. I got some separation in the fight, and a crowd gathers because they think I'm about to fight this guy, and I'm going to get beat. This guy was a Golden Gloves boxing champion at the time. And uh, I'm like, I know I can't beat him in a fight, which is convenient because I'm trying to apply the words of Jesus. And I can't be violent even if I wanted to because I'm not going to win. So what I'm going to do is with this crowd, I'm just going to pretend to be super holy. And I'm just going to say, hey, don't pick on my friend. Just punch me instead. <laughs> and I just brace. And this guy is like, he's got probably 100 pounds on me. I wrestled at the weight category of 107, glory to God. <laughs> Freshman for deep end. I don't even know if that category exists anymore. So anyways, I, I just get ready for a punch, and this guy, he loses all his technique in punching because he doesn't want to be embarrassed, he's enraged, there's a crowd, there's a lot of pressure, so he just throws out a really ugly looking punch, and it lands, but it's soft, and I, I start to feel confident, I can take a punch. Glory to God, I'm a peacemaker. I'm the son of God. <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, is that all you got? Punch me again. And he, he gets even more angry. He loses his technique, uh, <laughs> and he hits me, but he hits me wrong, and he breaks his wrist on my face. And then I realize that didn't feel right, and I can see he's in more pain than I am. I go, hit me again. <laughs> And he won't do it. And then he leaves away. And somehow people are like, Pradeepin won the fight. I'm like, yes. You know, this is the image we get with Jesus. Rome is bringing peace by putting people on the cross. But Jesus, he destroys their system of violence and turns it against them. Instead of putting enemies on the cross, he puts himself on the cross to love the enemies. And it's this great reversal, and it's like it overthrows this whole system of violence, and the ugliness of the cross becomes the beauty of our salvation. Yeah. And the whole system's destroyed. And this guy, he couldn't punch me anymore because the whole system of him hurting me destroyed because I just took a punch. If I were to try to fight him on his own terms, there's no way I would have won. And that's what I think is so beautiful about Jesus, that we don't have to out-system the systems of this world. We don't drive out hate with more hate. We drive out hate with love. And, and this is the way of, of Jesus. And so point number two, Jesus asked us 
to pick up the cross, not put people on the cross. I think it's time for the church to make peace with the Prince of Peace. Because the, the, the deal is we want to divorce the teachings of Jesus from the ways of Jesus. Yeah. We find all these loopholes and we justify all these things, but we are called to be peacemakers if we want to be called the children of God. We're called to emulate the ways of Jesus, and this is the truth of the cross. This is the truth of Good Friday that we're about to celebrate this Friday, that Jesus rather die on the cross than put his enemies on the cross. Yeah. And he overthrows violence. Even on Palm Sunday, what we're celebrating today, they expected, and Amrita preached about this in her great sermon on Blessed Are the Meek, Jesus didn't come in on a war horse. Yeah. And that's what Caesar Augustus would have done. He would have ridden in on a white horse, the palm branches that represented victory. And what does Jesus do? He comes in on a donkey, a colt. This represents peace. And what is the first thing he does when he's in Jerusalem for the first time? He weeps over Jerusalem and he says, oh, if you would have known the things that make for peace. Because he knew that the zealots in about 37 years or so were going to try to overthrow the Roman government through military force. And then the Roman government would siege the Jewish temple. You know the temple that the Old Testament always talks about? When was it destroyed? It was destroyed at this time. The reason we can't go to it as it is now is because the Romans really facing the threat of a revolution by the Jewish people through military and violent force, they were like, all right, we're going to destroy the temple, we're going to destroy Jerusalem, and the people of God were scattered once again, including the Christians. And so Jesus comes in on this donkey, humble, peacefully, and they say, oh, blessed is king, to the end of his kingdom of peace, will there be no end? And then Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, oh, if you would have understood the words I was saying, oh, if you would have known the things that make for peace, and they were destroyed. And so Jesus brings in this whole new identity. I mean, all throughout the scriptures. And so in your workplace, are you a person who is a, a troublemaker or are you a peacemaker? I love provoking people to fight. Don't get me wrong. With my words, physically, I play racquetball every Friday. You better believe I trash talk. I say things I will not repeat here. I love provoking conflict. But it's in that way I, I look the least like God. I don't look like my dad. I wouldn't be called a child of God. We're not called to be troublemakers, just provokers for the sake of provoking. And I'm not saying we're, we're quiet. I'm not saying we're completely like uninvolved with the situations of the world. No, we get right into the middle of it. You know, there's a story that shaped my, my faith quite a bit. And it's this story about someone named Jim Elliott. He was born in a in Portland, and he felt a call with his family and, and some other men to go to this, uh, this area in Ecuador where there was this unreached people group, never heard the gospel, known for killing. Their homicide rate was about 60%, and most people didn't make it past 30 because murder was so high. This group was starting to attack Western companies, like oil companies, and oil companies said, hey, we're going to kill all these people because they're, they're, they're ruining our business. And then these missionaries said, hey, don't kill them. We're, we're going to love them. We want to bring peace. Don't wipe them out. And so they began a relationship with this group of people. They're called the Aqua at the time. And they were known for killing. So they would get, bring peace baskets and gifts. They started a relationship with these people. And finally, they felt safe enough to go to their area. They flew a plane in there, got on their beach, met. And then these five men were pretty much immediately killed. And so they died. 
And they had guns on them, but they said before they got to this area, we would rather die than kill because our goal is to bring the love of Jesus to this people. Isn't that amazing? They had the means to kill them, but they laid down their lives like Jesus on the cross. A few months and years passed by, and the family of these dead fathers decide, we're going to go back there to these people in Ecuador and love them with the love of the gospel. So could you imagine being a, a wife and ministering to the very person that killed your husband? Could you imagine being a son and going to the very person that kills your father? And that's exactly what they did following the example of Jesus. So they get there, and the Aqua people are so moved. You're loving us? You're bringing us gifts? You're sharing a message of peace with us, even though we killed your husband, your father? And that's exactly what we're doing. And we just want to say, God loves you. Jesus loves you. He loved me even when I was an enemy, and I love you even when you consider me an enemy, because I believe that God has created us as one people. And I want to share the love. And the story is crazy, and uh, you can come up and play the keys. They eventually, the Aqua people, give their lives to Jesus. They accept this gospel of peace. And uh, I was listening to this interview by the son. Uh, I believe his name is Nate Saint, or Steve Saint. I get the father and son mixed up. But he's talking about the man who killed his father with a spear. And he said, years later, that same man adopted me as his son. The gospel of peace, isn't that beautiful? And in the same river, he killed my father. Years later, he baptized me as a follower of Jesus. And to me, I, I, that's so hard to understand in our, our Western American thinking. But these are the ways of Jesus, who rather die than kill. This is the gospel of peace. While we were enemies with God, he reconciled us to himself. And in this story in Ecuador, they weren't wiped out by these oil companies. They weren't wiped out by missionaries with vengeance, but they were ministers of the gospel of peace. And now these people are sharing the gospel to all sorts of people in Ecuador. And I, I just think this is beautiful. I like what Romans 12 says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so I, I'm just passionate about this. And if my heavenly father is obsessed with peace, I want to be like my heavenly father. I want to look like dad, don't you? And that's why Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You know, my, my family comes from a war-torn country, Sri Lanka. It's the only reason I was born in Minnesota. I'm the only one in my family born in Minnesota because my family were in the middle of a civil war. They saw tens of thousands of people around them die. There are two warring groups, the Tamil people, my family, the minority, and the, the Sinhalese people. Warring, death. My family comes to America as refugees. My, my sister 
as a four-year-old witnessed some horrible things. And she just shared this story on her Instagram. You can show this picture of my sister. She shared this story. Uh, as a, a young girl, she had these images, these events of trauma in her mind about seeing death and being taken away from the only nation she had ever known and had a hatred, a violence towards the Sinhalese people in Sri Lanka. How could you do this? Why would you do this? How could you kill? And she lived with that as a child. And when she was in college, she saw this girl at the campus of the University of Minnesota, and she looked Sri Lankan. And if you've known me long enough, you know, me and my family, if we see a brown person, we approach them. Are you Indian? Are you Sri Lankan? That's how I met Amritha. I saw her in Colorado Springs. Are you Sri Lankan? She's like, no. Anyways, my sister did the same thing. It's a Jiva thing. She sees this girl. Her name is Chimindika. She says, hey, are you, are you Sri Lankan? She goes, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm Sinhalese. My sister says, I'm Tamil. And all those memories and that hatred and that violence started to stir up. But they, they said something that's so powerful. It doesn't bother me if it doesn't bother you. And they became friends and roommates. And eventually I became roommates with her brother. And and we started getting meals every month. And there's just healing and peace to the point where my sister is able to move back to Sri Lanka in the light of all that, that war and trauma. And, and my sister in her Instagram post, she said, this Sinhalese family, a group I consider my enemy, they took me in and taught me about radical love at a time I clumped the majority as one. She stopped seeing them as a people group and just people. And that brought healing and restoration. And I know there is wrong in this world, and we hunger and thirst for justice. But in the midst of violence, I, I want to let you know, justice will not heal the world. But mercy and forgiveness and peacemaking will. And that's why I'm so thankful for, for God. Because while I was an enemy with God, he forgave me and healed me and reconciled me and all of us to himself. And so I, I pray... Would you consider the ways of Jesus in your family? Would you be a peacemaker in your workplace? Would you be a peacemaker in your neighborhood? Would you be a peacemaker even by bringing someone to church on Easter Sunday next week, someone who maybe feels hostility with God, and will say, hey, Lord, would you use me to bring peace between all these different relationships? Let me close with this prayer of St. Francis. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? The prayer of St. Francis. If you don't want to close your eyes and read the words on the screen, you can do that as well. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And everybody said, in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Thank you for the peace of the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn. 
in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.